Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Now this week I'm joined by Olivia Carr. Olivia is the founder of a company called Shh Silk, that's spelled S-H-H-H, Silk. Like the name suggests, they sell silk sleepwear products. They sell pillows, masks, pyjamas, you name it, they make it. Olivia had her first business when she was straight out of school and she has bootstrapped this company all by herself and it's been incredibly successful. She's got a great story about getting the products in the hands of the Kardashians. Now, that's something worth listening to. And some of the biggest hotels around the world. And with perseverance and lots of hard work, she's been able to achieve that. There's no other way to get there. I want to find out how she's done all this. How she uses these influences. Well, how they collaborate is probably a better way of putting it. And what her plans are to keep up the momentum. I want to get right into the manufacturing side of things and how she delivers her products. So let's get into it. Olivia Carr, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you for having me. Now, I want, first thing I want to know is the, the name of your business. Where would you get the name from? Shh, Silk. Yes. So it, it's hard to say, even harder to work out how to spell. So in hindsight, probably would have thought of a different name. However, the story behind the name is that Silk pillowcases um, have been a beauty secret, particularly in Hollywood for many years, dating back uh, to the 50s and 60s, all of the Hollywood celebrities who were working on set um, to reduce time getting their hair done each day, they would sleep on silk at night to, I guess, protect their skin, but also protect the hairstyle. So it's, is this bullshit folklore, or is this real? No, no, this is real. Is real? Um, so the so whole. So hang on, hang on. Let me test this a little bit. Yeah. So real, according to Olivia Carr, but like, where did <laughs> Olivia Carr find this out from? Google. Google. Always on Google. Dr. Google. So there was a tagline. There's always been a tagline behind silk pillowcases that it's been a beauty secret. So if you actually. Is that right? Yeah. So then our tagline was, it's your beauty secret. So it was like, shh, silk. Now we've got rid of the it's your beauty secret. um, And we've added, um, tried to play more on the fact of shh, being quiet sleep. I'm personally more of a fan of silk because of the fact that it does improve the quality of your sleep. So I've moved more away from, I guess, the hype or the the maybe the Hollywood secret. Yeah, but, but it, I, I just I, I don't understand it. I, I, look, you'll have to try it. Mark. That's my job. You'll have to try. I will try it. Yeah. But a survey one's sort of okay, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but like, explain to me: is is there any science behind it, or is it just folkloric, or is it um, experiential for some people, or is it we believe it and therefore it happens? And which, by the way, is fine by me. Yeah. Um, so. Um, there is scientific data behind the use of silk pillowcases. Majority of the data that you'll find will all come from plastic surgeons, again, in the US. 
Um, I think plastic surgery was definitely a bigger thing before it hit, say, the likes of Australia. So even now, if you go on our website, on our FAQs, you will actually see the claims made by doctors, um, plastic surgeons. They do claim that sleeping on silk is very good for the like reducing fine lines. There's many reasons for that. So silk pillowcases might be a new, I guess, product on the market, but the actual silk material that they're made from, they're 100% pure silk, has been around for, for centuries. Like silk, if you date back to the history of silk, it's been used in China for many, many years, used to be used by the rich. Um, so yeah, the, the properties in silk, the amino acids, like the pure fibres actually do hydrate your skin. They're naturally cooling. You'll see when you experience it yourself, they are naturally cooling. So for, even for women going through menopause, it can be a really nice feeling to have silk bedding. Just there's like there are many, what about many men reasons. going through womenopause? Oh, haven't done any studies on that. Um, things like acne is another is another great. Cause of the women. Um, no, I'm just joking. Yeah, for teenagers, we have had a lot of feedback for kids that go through acne. You actually yeah. can't grow bacteria on silk. So is that right? Yeah, it does reduce things like that. We obviously, you know, we do tend to focus our product on you know the benefits of hair and skin, but actually for for younger kids and even older women or men that do suffer from acne or irritation, switching to silk. Um, you know, historically has actually helped. Oh God, I feel like putting yeah. it on it now. Yeah. After all that. Um, uh, so, so, so can I ask you then, where do you get the silk from? Um, yeah. So, you know, it's obviously got to be pure unadulterated silk. And, um, and, you know, I watched that series on SBS, I think it was about the Silk Road and, uh, it's all about the purity of the product, I guess, mm-hmm. because you can't make the claim unless the product's pure. So where do you source your silk from? So we still source our silk from China. Really? And wow. silk is still grown in China. So China and India are the two, I guess, largest manufacturers of silk today. They do still have silkworm farms in China. So we, particularly in our case, we source a very specific type of silk. Right. Um, one's purely, you know, from mulberry worms, uh, mulberry leaves. Uh, it has to be a high grade. So the difference with silk pillowcases when it's used for bedding is you can machine wash it. So there's like a whole process behind it as opposed to silk clothing, which needs to be dry clean because it's a completely different weaving process. We design everything here, so we don't just stick to, you know, plain colours, and then we actually work with China. So because that's, I mean, I, I guess what I'm asking you here is, it's, it's a little bit technical, and sorry for all those people listening, that if you, if you get fucking bored here, but like about this particular part, but I'm, I'm intrigued. Um, you know, someone says, oh, silk pillowcases, but there's a lot more to it. I mean, you have to find silk. You have to make sure it's woven properly. Um, I guess you've got to know what's actually in the silk, what sort of chemical processes mm-hmm. have gone through. You want to make sure the quality is right uh, so that the outcome is right. And also the design has to be pretty faithful to your design. Mm-hmm. Um, where did you work all this shit out? I mean, what's your background? Tell me about you. Yeah, so prior to I had no uh, background in silk, obviously. I've always slept on a silk pillowcase since my early 20s. Really? Um, you, how, my how? hairdresser. So I have quite thin hair. Um, I used to wake up and, you know, I'd literally have molting hair on my pillowcase. Shit, I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> and my my hairdresser back in my early 20s said, you know, you need to sleep on a silk pillowcase. I had a child at 19, so let me tell you, silk pillowcases were not in my budget. So I used to go to, say, maybe even Best and Less back then and get a satin nightie and wrap it around my pillow. Bit different. A bit different. Satin also is polyester. It doesn't have the same. It also makes you sweat. Yeah. And it's, it's cold just, in winter and hot in it's, summer. It's I've not tried great. it. Not very practical. First wife, she loved it. All oh, right, red satins. <laughs> she's I hated them. Uh, so not very practical. <laughs> However, as time went on, I, um, you know, obviously then invested in a silk pillowcase, 
And I did start to notice the difference with my hair. My hair started growing. Um, what I should tell everyone, by the way, if you're listening, um, Olivia's actually got hair all over her face. She's like, she's this hair's everywhere. Like <laughs> this, this thing's working so good. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> so, so but you, you, but you discovered it yourself as a result of speaking to your hairdresser, and it sounds really simple. Yeah. And I know you've broken down something down really into really simple terms, yeah. but what made you get fascinated with it, with it then and say, well, hang on, I'm going to learn more about this and yeah. turn this into a, a real good, real deal pillowcase. Yeah. So my previous role to starting this brand is I was actually a general manager for Pacific Brands, so Bonds, Sheridan, these guys. And I was no, there. No, just stop there. Yep. You've had exposure because for those people who don't know, Pacific Brands listed many, many years ago, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, and they bought all the big brands in Australia. Mm-hmm. They ag- they're an aggregation of a whole lot of Australian brands. Yeah. I don't know if they've got Sheridan, I don't know if, who they got, but they got all these old school brands, like you just said, Bonds, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And you worked there. So that's a, br- a brand aggregation business. Yes. So I worked there. That was a really good, I guess, experience for me in terms of the whole online space. Um, my my role there in particular was looking at how the, how do they develop their loyalty programs online. I had no previous e-commerce experience. It was also very grueling, like very you know eleven p.m. finishes. Um, like it was it was a really tough time that I was there. They were going through a lot of you know cost cutting exercises. So I guess I suffered like severe burnout. I got burnt out, and I remember it was May twenty fifteen. You had was, a baby. I had two children by then. Two children, oh my God. And I was like, I just can't keep doing this. I can't keep building their business. I could see the, the money coming through these new um, channels that I was developing. And I was like, I'm just not satisfied. You know, I, I wasn't happy. So I resigned and I was like, right, I'm going to take five weeks and I'm going to go to America with my two children and I'm going to have a look at the world and I'm going to start a business. Um, I've had a business or a few businesses prior. Um, I went over to America. I actually was going to start a technology product. But what happened, the story of the silk was obviously I take silk with me everywhere. Like once you do like experience silk pillowcases, it's very hard to convert back to hotel cotton or whatever. So I took my pillowcase with me the first night in New York. It was white. The next morning they took it off with the laundry. So I go downstairs and I'm like, you know, obviously could I just grab my silk pillowcase back? I knew it was an accident. And of course in New York, everything's sent off. So the pillowcase was never to be seen again. So I was like, so I had to get through five weeks um, through the US whilst looking for this new business, sleeping back on cotton. I kid you not, in five weeks, my sleep, I was irritable. I wasn't sleeping through the night. My skin did start getting dry. Now, fair enough, I was also in America um, at the time, traveling, probably a bit of jet lag. There was a whole lot. But I just- Two kids. Yeah. I just, it had been so many years since I'd had to sleep on cotton that I'd actually also forgotten to appreciate how amazing the silk was. When I got home, I had this this new technology product that I was going to try and sell to JB Hi-Fi. And at the same time, I was like, oh, now I need to buy a new silk pillowcase. And they were still about $100 in the market. And even then with some money, I was 100 like- 100 bucks. Yeah. I was like, this is so annoying like that I even have to buy a new one. So I'm looking online. I absolutely love researching. So I was like, you know, I was never really happy with the one I had. It was quite oversized. It used to fall off my pillow because it was silk. Um, there's got to be something better. So I searched the globe and I was like, why can I just not find a pillowcase with a zip? That was my first thing. I was like, this is super annoying. Like I, I used to have to tuck it behind my other pillows because it would literally fall off. So I was like, there, there is none. This is ridiculous. At the time in 2015, marble was quite a trend. Like everything in the stores was marble. And in New York in particular, I remember seeing all the homeware stores. Everything was this magnificent marble. So literally at that moment, I was like, this is it. Like screw the technology product. I'm not a massive fan of like technology gadgets. I was like, I'm going to China. Three days later, I flew to China. I started sourcing silk factories, discovering everything about silk, 
started the manufacturing process, designed marble, launched three Des- months design- later, marble, like an, a beautiful like marble print on the silk. Oh, a print, yeah. Um, called it the New York Collection because that's where my inspiration was drawn from and launched it three months later and launched worldwide day one. How would how, you design it? Like, I mean, how would you go about designing yeah, so your pillowcase? Yeah, so graphic designers. So we, our business now is heavily, heavily dependent. We are talking about this before. Our graphic designers do all of our product design. They hand sketch it or they, in some cases, hand paint, hand draw, and then we work to get the artwork right. That was the other thing for me. The point of difference was that I would bring more of like a fashion aesthetic to the bedroom. So this didn't become just a practical product that I knew was amazing to sleep on, but it looked incredible on the bed. And so, so it's like a marble print or something. Yeah, that's still our number one bestseller today. Really? It was meant to be a six-month limited, yeah, can, cannot get rid of it. Cannot yeah. get rid of it. So yeah, when I was a kid, I just when you were, when you were talking, I just remember as a kid, um, I don't know how this happened, but I actually had a, an old shoebox with silkworms in it and mulberry leaves. Oh, right. And I remember used to um, have it under the house. And I, I, I can't remember how the hell I got it, but where it all came from. But I remember having to feed these silkworms mulberry leaves. Yeah. And there was a mulberry tree up the road. And I used to go and pinch the leaves off there. And uh, I never did anything with the silk. But <laughs> it's a great thing for – have your kids ever got involved in this? Have you ever sort of taken your kids through the process of where the silk comes from and explained it all to them? Yeah, so – Right from the very source? Right from the beginning. So I think my daughter probably knows the most. She's 17 now um, and a really bright kid. She was my first employee. So she definitely understands, you know, silk, the origins, where it came from. She's done a lot of the writing for our website – my son's probably less interested in the where it came from, but the potential of where it's going. He's just such a little, he has his own little business. He's just such a little entrepreneurial, like, freak. Just, Apple doesn't drop far from the tree, oh, Olivia, by the way. He's incredible. It, it, but it's sort of quite interesting as part of the story or part of your brand. So how important is the story to your brand? Um, and and also, the I, I guess, also the providence of... Um, where a pillowcase comes from in terms of its raw material, mm-hmm. starting from a little little worm, like a small little yeah. thing that turns into a butterfly or something. I can't remember now, but it turns into something. Yeah, it does. What it does, it's, it builds a cocoon of the silk mm-hmm. after eating the mulberry leaves. I don't know if they all eat mulberry leaves, but they eat mulberry leaves, they, which is a pretty specific sort of tree. Um, and the leaves are only there during the summer, spring and summer, and a little bit of autumn, and they fall off in the winter as I recall, and they spin the, themselves the cocoon around the pupae mm-hmm. and then they turn into a butterfly or a moth or something and Look then they fly go. out. Huh? Correct? Look at you go. I could Am just I right? use this and put it on our website. Am I right? <laughs> yes, you are correct. Exactly. And what they do is they take all these little cocoons uh-huh. and they 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 weave them. Mm-hmm. They, well, they spin them. And, and now all of the empty cocoons that still have all the fibre on the outside are actually used in Korea as like they've cut the bottoms, you stick your finger in and they, they're the best exfoliator for your face. Really? So it's, they've extended it. Even and, There's no wastage in And the silk's process. particularly strong too, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, very strong. In terms of um, like tensile strength. Yeah. So um, I, so that, that's that's the process. And, mm-hmm. and I have a little imagination, a whole lot of Asian lady, Chinese lady sort of spinning it. But um, how does it happen now? There's, I pr- presume there's massive big factories in China. Okay. So the very frustrating part about being in the silk business and as incredible as China is, you would not believe how much is still handmade. But that's sort of good. It is good. In terms um, of the story, yeah. It's good, but then in, in our situation, yeah, you know, you we, had to, we had to knock a deal back recently. We needed 1.2 million eye masks made and they just couldn't produce it. 1.2 million. You wow. couldn't get 10 factories in the largest. So it's still a very handmade process. Um, the Chinese government, there's a study at the moment, they're looking to invest significantly into developing the silk industry. 
the demand for silk across the world is growing. Um, I'm sure, you know, back in time, there was probably another period where silk was, you know, quite popular and it kind of drizzled off for a while. It's definitely a, a, a product that's hot property now across the world. And, and what do you Europe. put that down to? Education. Um, More money. Yeah, somewhere along the line, somebody's, you know. But is the demand in China or, or it's The demand's in Europe, in Europe, to be honest. But this, the demand is in China because everyone around the world is sourcing their their silk from China. I mean, I've learned something new today. I, I, I mean, I... I know silk is for, sort of like for the rich and fancy and all that sort of stuff. And I've always thought of it, to be honest, as just like a bit of an indulgent thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't thought in terms of um, sleep, like things you sleep on, but I've thought about it in terms of, I would only think about it in terms of what women wear. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I, I guess people like me and a lot of other people in the world are starting to become educated as to the benefits of sleeping on silk or mm-hmm. using silk for other types of products. And as we sort of, as the middle classes grow in places like China and India and particularly India and other parts of the world, there's going to be greater demand for this, so not only luxury good, but this beneficial good. Mm-hmm. And part of your game, I guess, is education, educating Correct. people as to how important this is. Correct. Which is the reason why before we are on air, ladies and gentlemen, um, Olivia started um, telling me, she gave me um, a sample package, I get to sample these things, and uh, telling me how important it is. And so and and she flew straight. By the way, she flew straight into her sales pitch, um, <laughs> without without calling a sales pitch, but it was a pitch. But that's that's part of the game because part of the game of building a new business like you have, Olivia, and congratulations. But building a new business like you have is that you've got to keep talking it up, mm-hmm. and the more you talk about it, the more it sort of drives you to perform the outcome that you keep talking about. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really important thing. Mm-hmm. People often, if you've got a great idea and you want to make it into something, and you are working towards that, talk about it. Don't keep mm. it as a secret. I think yeah. that's a really powerful emotion. Mm-hmm. Does that work for you? It does. And I think there's, like, I've learned a lot just listening to you talk back to me about silk. Um, and one of the biggest fears I think that consumers have is that silk is such a fragile, like, high-maintenance product. And yet, like you say, it is actually the most durable, the strongest uh, fabric out there. So we definitely still as a three-year-old business need to re-educate our consumers that investing in this, you know, you will get the length of time if you look after it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've always, it's funny, you know, you talk about cotton sheets and I, I actually love the feeling of freshly washed cotton mm. sheets. Um, but now you, you've done such a good job and you haven't actually tried that hard at it, but you've done such a good job at, um, convincing me now that silk is better mm-hmm. that I'm dying to try it. Yeah. So and and tell me about the practicalities of yours. So you, if you got a zip on it, do you end up putting? We do. Zip? So yeah. we were the world's first hidden zip. Um, I was really pleased to see we have one main competitor in Australia who would be the number one in the world. They've been around for thirteen years, and recently they introduced the same hidden zip. And to me, that was just a huge win as a business. Um, one, I think it's it's great for the industry as a whole because everybody should have a zip. Um, but it was just nice to see that you know our slight little edge on innovation had kind of you know, had that impact, um, not only for us, but our competitor. Um, so not only do we have a zip, we've made sure that we've shortened the length of pillowcases. So there's a lot of thought, you know, it is just a pillowcase. You could look at it and say, it's just a pillowcase. There's so much thought that has gone into this, I guess, this simple product. For me, it's making sure that it doesn't overhang, like there's nothing worse than having your bed looking terrible in the morning, you know, a sloppy pillowcase that you've invested money in. Um, again, it's right down through to our design. We don't just have marble. We have many other, you know, amazing prints. 
I really do look at, you know, the trends coming up in Europe. What are we working on for next year? I want this to be something that you're proud of to showcase in your home so that when you have guests come over, should they happen to, you know, see your bedroom or, Hello. you know, walk past down the hallway, they can't help if they may not know it's silk, but they're Excuse like... Excuse me, guests, would you like to come yeah. to my bedroom? <laughs> not uh, inside, perhaps yeah. walking past. Well, you know. Um, it's a conversation starter. Like Totally. You know, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. It's definitely a conversation starter. Um, I was too scared to uh, ask you the size of your bed, hence egg. I got you queen-size pillowcases. <laughs> so, so, uh, but, but, but I think what you're saying here, Olivia, and I, and I think it's really important, you're in, but you've been in business for three years um, and I don't want people, and you don't want people to, as a result of listening to the, this today, to walk in and go, oh, well, I can, oh, silk pillowcase, she did that and she did it in such a short period of time, she's been so successful. And I think the point here is, you, and you, you underplayed, you said, oh, there's been a lot of thought going to it. No, there's probably been thousands and thousands of hours mm-hmm. of many, many people, um, not only thinking, but actually writing, trial and error, producing, um, designing, and to to the extent that you've got your current stock inventory mm-hmm. or, or, or um, style, but that'll just keep going on. Correct. So during that three-year period, what was the biggest challenge to you? Mm, it's still the biggest challenge today. So I will always source my, my silk from China. I do believe they have the best uh, silk in the world. It's incredibly challenging. Um, I don't want this to sound kind of sexist, but being a woman. Matt be it. Yeah, being a woman doing business in China, which is still you know predominantly male-orientated, is yeah. incredibly challenging. So I go to China every three to four, like longest time, six months, and still after three years, I just don't have the respect from, you know, the factory owners, which makes it incredibly challenging to, you know, look at things like negotiating price, um, even having, you know, quality control conversations and getting agreement on things. It's just not their culture. So I've had to learn over time to take a male with me. Um, and that doesn't, you know, in Australia, that's definitely not what we stand for here. You know, no. women are, you know, girl bosses in their own rights. Do they speak English just out of interest? When they want to. Right. Um, so, so do you take a Chinese male? Or, or no, a, no, I don't. So they can speak English when they want to, when you want to negotiate price, all of a sudden the English barrier seems to be strong. Um, but I say that's, it is challenging because particularly where silk is grown in China, it's very remote. So it's not like visiting Shanghai, which is just like being in Sydney or Melbourne. Um, so you're, you're quite remote. Um, there's a lot of things that, that still happens in China that is terrible to deal with. So, you know, they hold you to ransom. Anyone that manufactures in China will understand, you know, you pay a significant amount of money up front and then you have to pay the remaining balance before it's even shipped. So often you've invested, you know, in our case over 100,000 US dollars, you know, for large orders at any time. And then literally they can just hold your product or you don't know where your product is because you're now in a pricing battle or you're not happy with the quality of something, which, you know, we will send stuff back all the time. For me, that's a daily battle. Like I will never drop the ball on quality. Um, Certain things we spoke about the zipper before. I'm adamant they must be imported from Japan. They have to be YKK. Um, It's the best zipper on the market. And the second that that's switched, it just, you know, I would rather stop manufacturing and lose sales than accept poor quality. And in China, that's just not how they operate. They just think to save money, quality's got to go. That's the first thing to go. So as an Australian business, you know, going global, I am just constantly battling with them to try and improve quality standards every single day whilst trying to maintain reasonable pricing. And it's relation- really tough. And reasonable relationships at the same and time. And that's that's challenging. So I, I, we're going to go to the break. But what I want to do when I come back, Olivia, I actually want to sort of dig in a little bit to this stuff, but also want to um, I, I want to um, sort of explore 
or expose um, how you <laughs> got the Kardashians to uh, promote your product. I mean, I, I, I mean, it's that's on the marketing side. That's really important. Yeah, and that was clearly a coup for you. Mm -hmm. um, but I want to get into the nitty gritty too about manufacturing and the, and all the risks. Because I mean, I know people they say, oh, well, I can go and get this built in China. Major like I also have been involved in uh, producing stuff in China mm -hmm. and and Taiwan, both places, and uh, I've had the same experience as you've had mm -hmm. and. You can kill your brand in a minute. Correct. With these people who are trying to cut costs mm -hmm. in order to meet the quote that they gave you. Yeah. And they make these decisions without even talking to you. But I want to get into that. I'm going to come back from the break. Then I want to talk to you about the Kardashians. Yes. Exciting. <laughs> I'm back from the break and I'm here with Olivia and we're talking about shh. Actually, sort of shh. So is that how you say it? <laughs> But like, we're, and we're talking about um, Olivia's products, and clearly, I mean, she can get. She knows how to build a brand. She's been at this for three years. Obviously, got a good brand, and you know, she's got some real deal celebrities who have been using her brand. But in order to maintain the brand, you've got to be able to make sure that you can build a product because a, a dud product, you know, just by in terms of how it gets manufactured and delivered, can just kill it in a minute. And the, what I'm just noticing, I've got the product here in front of me, and I've got these. Beautiful silk um, pillowcases, or what do you call them? Yeah, pillowcases. Pillow pillow pillowcases, yeah. and they've got this cool zip deal going on here, which is sort of pretty much I can't see. It's a hidden zip. But yes. it works because there's nothing worse than a zip that doesn't work. Um, and inside it, it's very, very nice. So it's sort of like, I don't know, it feels really good. I just I sort of just got it hanging on my arm here so I can <laughs> sort of see what's going on. Um, and... That brings me to where you manufacture. We were talking before the break about where you manufacture. You manufacture in China, and you were talking about a lot of your manu your silk sourcing gets done in remote areas, which is probably some part of China where they've got mountains and silk. Uh, um, they've got mountains and lots of mulberry trees or something like that, and silkworms. And the silkworm and the spinning, etc., and all that is not actually happening at an industrial scale at this point. There's mm -hmm. a lot of manual work going on. What And we talked about the biggest challenges because I know people think, oh, I've got this great idea. I can manufacture this pretty cheap and sell it for great margins and uh, get it delivered. Let me just take it back. Let's go backwards in steps. Let's say you're delivering. I buy online. I buy um, sh silk. Um, I buy the sleeping uh, the iPad here. This is like a, a nice iPad you put on your eyes to make sure you sleep well at night. And it comes in a beautiful package. So let's just say, how does it arrive to me on time? So let me just take me back through the supply chain. Mm -hmm. So I order online, yeah? Yes. Um, then it goes to you know, it goes to your your online, your website. Um, it, it, does, is that automatic? Does it then, and how do, how do you get delivered to me? What's your delivery process? Who's doing your last mile? Yeah. So we have a warehouse in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. um, we moved into our warehouse in July this year. We do all of our own picking, packing. We do have an automated ordering system. Um, obviously, we have, you know, large sales events like next week with Black Friday where we're expecting to do, you know, 2,000 orders a day. Um, but it's still a very manual pick and pack process. So the orders come through each morning. We have an operations team. There's four of them downstairs. They'll literally come in each morning. The orders will be printed out. Um, they'll see that Mark, you know, got himself a silk-filled eye mask overnight. Um, there's two options. About 85% of people choose to monogram, so we offer personalization for all of our products. That actually adds... Put a, MB on there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it adds a bit of complexity to the whole process yeah. and time. Um, so it does say on our website, should you wish to have MB on your, your pillowcase or your eye mask, it'll add five days to the delivery time. And then what happens? Is it, do, do you order that direct from China? 
No. no. So we do it all. So at this stage, we house all of our stock in Melbourne, in our right. warehouse. And then we come in, we separate in the morning all of the products that need to be monogrammed. They get sent off to our monogramming factory in Melbourne. And then that will take between three to five days. Then it will come back in. If it's a case of a pillowcase, it's still very, we, we add a bit of extra, um, I guess, complexity for our own business by adding this option. But it's something that, again, I think adds the personal touch. We literally then have three ironing stations where we'll re-iron and refold your product, package it, and then it will get shipped out to you. So, so the packaging here is very beautiful packaging. Um, it's um, it's holographic. It's got all the stuff on the back there, and it's it's it's, it's actually very cool. It's nice and light. It's a good size. I can fit my hand around it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's been a lot of thought gone into this. Yes, clearly you've designed it here in Australia, but you get it, where do you get this manufactured? Yeah, packaging? so we get our packaging made in China. Yep. Um, again, that's that's a process in itself. So it took six months from start to finish. Even though you can have the most amazing CAD drawings, designs, etc. Um, just because CAD means computer assisted design. So what yeah. we're talking about here is um, you do the the computer assisted design, yeah. which is you've got your own graphic people here. Yes, who yep. does it? And you send it off to China. Send it to China. Again, we would have gone through a process of sourcing um, a great packaging, you know, um, expert. We. Again, we seem that this seems to be a common theme here. We do like to add a bit of complexity. We decided to go for a holographic foil packaging, which, yep. you know, that's about a four-step process. It goes through a machine four different times. There's four different layers on that box. Um, so, again, testing and getting samples is really important. And, again, we never just send something off to China and then just say go ahead because even though you send the artwork, they might, you know, there's typos. They can do things upside down. We definitely get, you know, proof final sample signed off before we go ahead. Over there or here? Over there. Right. Um, and then our packaging actually now comes back to our warehouse and we package the products. So you, you, you build the box? Yeah. Yeah. So it comes in flat packs. Correct. And you you you, you construct the yeah. boxes yourselves. We used to get it made in China and sent straight to our supplier. However, interestingly, this is another big movement at the moment in China, is all the big warehouses, not just our product, but across the board in China, it's become quite um, a common theme now where your manufacturer is now your competitor. So in our case- I our, want to put that aside because that's, a big, that's yeah. a big piece I want to talk about. So we just, yeah. just let's just park that for a second. Yeah. Just let's park that because that, that's a risk, big risk. That's why we get it sent to our warehouse yeah, yeah, now correct. to protect okay. our IP. I've been through the process yeah. myself. But so you, 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 this packaging arrives in Australia, flat packed. You mm-hmm. then build a box in, in your warehouse in yep. Melbourne. Um, you, you pack your, your goods, it might be monogrammed, maybe not monogrammed. Mm-hmm. If it's been monogrammed, you re-iron it and package yep. it beautifully. And then how do you get it delivered to me? Uh, we use a company called Sendal. Right. So they're yep. a new online. Yeah, the, yep. yep. Love them. Um, and then it will come to you if you're in Sydney. You'll probably get it the next Do you charge day. me for the – when I buy it, do I have to pay for – So we have free shipping over $100 okay, got worldwide. It. Okay. Yep. In other words, you absorb it. Yep. Um, it's still The cost is still in there. Now, let's just that, – that's the packaging, beautiful mm-hmm. packaging. I understand the delivery, the what they call the last mile. By the way, last mile is pretty important. You've got to get that right because people don't like things thrown over the fence. They like to know that they're going to get it mm-hmm. and they're going to get it quickly. Yep. So you don't want someone who's going to stuff that up. Now, let's look at the product. Mm-hmm. So um, – Let's start from sourcing the silk. You source the silk in, well, what's the name of the place you go to? I mean, give me one of the, yeah, the so Chinese we, names. So where the silkworm farms are, yeah. we obviously don't go back that far because we're using factories that have now got the raw actual right. silk material. So we go to Jiangsu is the province. Yep. Um, so you, you know, fly into Shanghai and catch the bullet train out, which is quite fun and scary at the same time. Um, and then once we get to Jiangsu, we go on a two hour bus ride to get to the factory. Um, it's quite a large area but quite remote once you get out there. Right. A lot of factories. And is this one of those factories um, which like 
everyone's walking around masks and you know, white overalls and they're massive, look like three football fields. And, yeah. Uh, they're incredible. 150 people on the machines. They're incredible, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. It's like it's, it's like something I get it from, like you just never expect it. You, ex- yeah. you think that it's all going to be bamboo and stuff like that because it's in China, but it's not. It's the opposite. Yeah. It's full-on manufacturing capability. Correct. And uh, so now in terms of the, 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 I mean, not the design, well, the design, you give them the design, but in terms of um, quality control, quality mm-hmm. assurance, QAing your product, do you do that? Once it's arrived no. in Australia, or you do right. So you have a, you have a person on the ground. It's you, myself. Yeah. So again, it's probably a, a learning as a business leader. At some point, I'll probably let that part go and give it to somebody else. There's many great companies in China that will go out and do your quality checking for you. It's just so important. Like I can't stress this enough. Quality to us as a brand, especially with a luxury product, I just can't let that. I can't let the ball go because I just know the second I do that, the quality will drop. So I still go over and do our, our quality checking. I so was every in China time you last have a group of orders, you, you yeah. So if you 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 obviously know your ordering process yes. is it maybe four or five times a year, whatever it is, yeah. And then you go in there and have have a quick look yeah. at what's being produced. So I literally Color. like it's yeah. I go through it. There's like big, you know, drums if you like, and our different products will be in there, and I'll just randomly test because China's also quite good at putting the best product on the top of bins. So I'll literally go to the bottom of the bin or I'll go to an area that hasn't yet been sewn and I'll say, no, I want the fabric put up on the roll. It goes under lights and I'm looking for any flaws, any slight tears. It is quite a process. And if you if you wait until the product's landed in Australia, which is what a lot and of companies do. you've already paid do, for it? You've already, it's really tough to yeah, try. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah, you've got no negotiating power at yeah. that point. You've got to get them when you've got the negotiating power. And what I've found over three years by, I guess, being um, or taking that approach is that it's less likely to be poor quality because they know I'm going to come over. Mm. They know what I'm like. I am a ball breaker. Mm. Like I just, you know. I was going to say that, but. Yeah. yeah. Um, But you need to be because these are all the things at the end of the day. If I'm sending you that product, once it's reached Melbourne, I don't check them. Obviously, we then just go straight into the process of sending them out because I can be sure that we've already gone through and tested the material. Right. So, so I, I mean, I, I think I can't stress enough to people listening to this podcast that quality assurance, particularly with luxury, but anything, quality assurance is like critical when you're negotiating with these manufacturers in other places in the world, particularly in, um, in Asia. Um, they tend to say, oh, I'm going to give you each piece at a dollar, for argument's sake, but they then they try and work out how mm-hmm. they can produce what you think they think you want for less than the price they quoted. Correct. So they will. I mean, I've been through this process myself, where they will ch- change the uh, the dye. Mm-hmm. In, in the case of the one I was talking about, was they changed the paint. So instead of making it an outdoor paint, it wasn't a it was no longer a ruggedized paint. It was a paint that was only meant for a different conditions. And the moment it was this particular paint was put outdoors, it started to peel off. So they change things yeah. around. It's sort of like you might think they're being showing initiative, but they're actually trying to reduce their cost so Correct. they can increase their margin because they've quoted you as cheap as possible to mm-hmm. beat their next door neighbor who's actually going to do the same product. Yeah. So how do you sort of keep an eye on making sure that they're not cutting corners? Yeah. So I think um, the easiest thing I've found in our case is we also, early on in the early days, we just relied on one large factory, um, which I thought was the smart thing because obviously if you give them all your work, you think you're getting the best pricing. The challenge with that is when you do come across things like quality issues, lead time issues, you have nowhere else to go. So what I did in year two is I actually split our supply chain into three factories. So now what it does is they actually each have to work harder to get more work. 
So it's like now I've created competition within the factories. Now, sure, they don't like it and it's not an easy conversation and it's one that I have almost daily. But what it does is obviously the one that, that consistently performs well, that consistently does great lead times, that consistently, you know, helps me to make sure the quality's there. We obviously do start to feed them, you know, more and more work. And the one that isn't performing, we replace them with someone else. So it's become an easier way to navigate our way through China. And we're quite transparent. I mean, China's very clever. They come on our website and they can see we have products that their factory has not even touched. But then that's my response is, well, they need to do better. Yeah, yeah that's your uh, your. I mean, if you don't mind me saying, you're you're, being, you're pretty tough. I mean, yeah. like it's, you've got to be tough. Yeah, because they're tough. They're very I mean, tough. They're, they're, I mean, they're, you don't. And and what, if I'm manufacturing something in China, I think people need to understand this. If you're manufacturing something in China or out of China, um, there are certain volumes. Until you get to the volume, they won't touch it. In mm-hmm. other words, they say unless you can do fifty thousand of these, we can't build it. Yeah. Um, what? Where was? Did you experience that same thing? Yeah, so for us as a business, three years ago, one thing that was a lot easier is because, and again, we'll talk about this in a moment, because I started the business with a clear intention that the Kardashians were going to sleep on our product. That was my, that was the goal from day one. I made it a goal to make sure that when we started, I invested heavily in stock. I didn't want to have the dream per se of, you know, having the Kardashians and then no stock. So I really went deep with stock. So it was never an issue for me. Um, I mentor some small businesses in Melbourne and I do say to them, that's not the approach everyone should take. I'm a big believer in do a small run first, pay pay a higher price, but test the market. Um, that really that really ate into our cash flow. This is a self you know funded business. The only I guess benefit to that is that it was our marble print, and that still is our number one bestseller. So it's never really dead stock. It's but it turning, was a risk. It was a risk at the time. Um, it, it was a big risk at the time, but I can't avoid. Yeah. It. I mean, I got to go there. I mean, I've been trying my best to avoid this. So the big K Kardashian. Yes. So. Okay, so I, you know. Everyone talks about them. Kardashians yeah. uh, have used, will use your product. Mm-hmm. What product do they use? Tell me about it. Okay. So across the family, they all, this is the important thing for our brand. Again, we didn't start with a big marketing budget. So organically, I now have connections directly with um, their assistants, who is who my relationship is with. They all regularly request um, a mix of our pillowcases, our sleepwear. Recently, Kim wanted our new hairbrush. We have accessory ranges as well. So we have 105 products. Um, they, What else do they have? They travel with our travel silk-filled pillows. They have our silk-filled pillows. Um, we just got asked last week, um, Kim, her son Saint, wanted his name on his pillows. So we had to send new white and black ones. Um, Kylie has our sleep masks. They all have our Beverly Hills sleepwear that they actually went in themselves and purchased. Uh, they pretty much have everything. So, so, okay. The Kardashians got all your gear. Yeah. Like, how did that happen? Like, how did that happen? How did they find out about it? Okay. I want another story. The I'm story. dying. <laughs> okay. So the Kardashians have always slept on silk. So how did you know that? Research. I'm like a research. Like if there's a human living Google, it's yeah, that, yeah. you know where research to come. Nut. Research, especially when it comes to the Kardashians. Okay, so the Kardashians have always slept on silk. Their grandmother um, had always slept on silk, passed it down to the mother, then passed it down to the kids. So if you go right back to season one, which was what, nearly 10, 11 years ago, they were sleeping on silk back then. So again, I like to use the excuse. Do they talk about it? I mean, did, did, mm, they just travel with it all the yeah. time. So when you have a look at their airport photos, they're always with their silk pillow. Like They've they got just, a pillow on their Yeah, they just don't, don't go anywhere without it. Now they take our travel pillows on the plane, it's photographed. So I knew this. Um, I knew it because my daughter and I have watched every episode over the years. And 
again, at the time, I didn't link the dots because I didn't know I was going to start this business until I did. When I launched, I'm a big believer in you've got to have big, scary, massive goals. Like, you know, if you really want to create success, the, the goal has to be scary. So one, it was scary leaving a job. Um, you know, normally I, I've listened to some of your podcasts and your advice is always, you know, keep the day job. Well, I didn't do that. So I resigned. I'd had enough. That's my attitude, like move on. And I can't be in two places at once. So I was like, no, I need the attention. So I, I jumped and have two kids to support. Uh, I'm not married. And I was like, right, how am I going to sell all of these silk pillowcases that I'm about to invest in? Like, what's the easiest way for me without money to do that? And honestly, my mind goes straight there. It's obviously just buy a ticket, fly to America and hand deliver them. Like when I tell people this story, they're like, but that's actually insane. Like, why would you ever think you could do that? And I'm like, because I just don't see why I couldn't do that. Like, I genuinely don't understand why. Instead no. of asking why, ask why not. Yeah. So I knew I couldn't afford to do, you know, a collaboration. And I understand the commercials and, you know, the whole thing about influencers. I just didn't have the budget. It's not that I didn't want to pay them. I genuinely didn't have the budget. So I did. I literally said to myself, within three months, the Kardashians will sleep on our product. If they don't, and I have all these pillowcases left, I'll just have to go and get a job. So I was doing it backwards. I'll get a job if I need to after to support the business. Now, I say all of this genuinely hand on heart, not knowing anything about gated communities in America. So one thing on the show, when you watch the show, they're not showing you the security guard at the front that looks like a prison center, you know, with all these massive, huge cameras outside. You don't see any of that. So here I am thinking, well, I'm just going to go over there. I'm going to hire a car. I know the address because I found it on Google and I'd validated it because I went through some business records. They owned a boutique at the time. So I knew that was the right address. So at least I had certainty that I was going to turn up somewhere and I'm just going to tell them my story. I'm going to be very genuine about why I need their help. And I'm going to also acknowledge that, you know, what I'm asking for is, is a big favor because I can't give them the financial reward. So that's what I did. I went over there. I hired a car. I was driving on the way out there. You know, I was in a suit. Uh, and then I pull up and I'm like, what is this? Now, I've never been to a prison, but I imagine if you're entering a prison, this is exactly what it feels like. There's, you know, there's a man. He's in like a, a guard uniform. It's in a brick building. There's all these boom gates. There's cameras everywhere. And I'm thinking, what is going on? Like, I've literally just landed from Australia. There's no going back. I'm thinking, how am I getting through? Like, what am I doing? So I drive, and you can't turn around. There's cameras everywhere. So I'm in a hire car. I've got my navigator going because I knew the address. I get to the thing and he, I wind down the window and he says, can I have your license? And I'm thinking, oh my God. So I've got an Australian license. This already looks dodgy. So I hand it over. Now, the good thing for me is I was actually going to Chris Jenner's property because Chris being the mother, um, obviously the manager, I thought do things properly, you know, go to the actual home of the lady that, you know, that rules the roost. So quickly thinking on my feet, he looks at me and he says, do you have an appointment? And I said, yes, I have an appointment with Jenner Communications. So I knew that she, that was the name of her business. She represents them. He looked at me. I obviously don't look too intimidating, too scary. He takes my license. He says, do you know where you're going? And I'm thinking like my heart at this point, I don't know if I was going to faint, pass out, like poker face. All I could think of at this point is navigator, please don't say anything because then he's going to know I don't know where I'm going. So I said, yeah, I know where I'm going. He says, all right, no worries. Gives me my license back and lets me through. Now to this day, I feel really sorry because I never found out whether that security guard ever lost his job. So I am, I would hate to think that anything happened because of my, you know. Seems a bit like Yeah. So anyway, I get through, um, I pull up to the house 
and then the next obstacle, I'm like, whoa. Like, How did you know which house it was? Because I had the address. Yeah, had the address. Yeah, yeah, so I had the address. But the show is also filmed like six to nine months, mm. um, you know, in advance. So what I didn't know is they were renovating the driveway. So not only did I pull up to this house that had two matching, like, matte-coloured Rolls Royce parked on the lawn, which is very, very overwhelming. I later Googled, and that was Kim and Kanye's. They were actually living there at the time, which you later then see on the show. So I've got these ginormous beast cars, these huge security cameras just staring at me, idling in this car, and then this do not cross tape on the driveway. And I'm thinking, oh, my Lord, like, I've just got through my first barrier. I can't stop now. But at this point, I realised, hang on a second, I, I am now trespassing. Like, it's literally the signs right there, do not cross. But I'm in the car. I don't have long to think because I'm thinking that the police are probably on their way at this point. Like, let's be honest. I had no idea they could shoot to protect over there. Again, why I would never do this story again. Um, anyway, at that moment, I'm a huge believer in the universe and, you know, putting things out to the universe and, and manifesting and whatever. A UPS, a brown UPS truck at that very moment pulls up. And who's he delivering to? But Chris Jenner. So I was like, this is it. This is my moment. So I grabbed my parcel. I had a four-page handwritten letter that told about my story, all the charity stuff, you know, that we do behind the scenes, why I needed their help, blah, 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 blah. He crosses the gate and I'm like, this is it. Leave the car. He crosses, presses the doorbell. So I just go with him. Now (laughs) I could hear voices inside because by this stage they're coming to collect the mail. Now my only regret is I didn't stay. I just put the box on top and I was like, I just, it was very overwhelming and I, I was way out of my depth. Um, had I have stayed, it could have been a, a very bad situation. Maybe I would have got locked up. Who knows? Anyway, that all happened. I was on such a high. I was like, oh my God, that's like, I've just dropped it off to, you know, Chris Jenner's house. By this stage, I'd Googled. I knew who was living there. I was like, ah, I could hear them inside. So I think, well, let's not stop now. Let's go to Courtney Kardashian's house. She loves homewares. The difference is where Courtney lives, it's the same estate as Justin Bieber and some very large celebrities, but didn't stop me. So I drive there. It's nearing on 5 p.m. Everyone's starting to In the same estate? Uh, like five minutes away. Right. It's nearing on five. So I, <laughs> I get, love this. I get up to the next estate. Well, this is slightly Only embarrassing. Only an Aussie would do this. Only an Aussie. So you've got to remember they've got video cameras. So by the time they've opened their mail, they've probably read this letter and thought, who is this crazy lady that jumped on a plane and hand, like who does that and then gets in and how does she get in is the other thing. Anyway, that does, I'm not thinking about that. I get to the next estate. I'm like feeling really good. I'm like, I've got this, you know, use the same story. I get up to the gate. This time I've got a Mexican who's very serious. Like he's eyeballing me. I get up to the window and put the window down, get my license ready. And he says, yes, who are you here to see? Now I didn't say the name because I thought if I say Courtney Kardashian, he's going to be like, yeah, okay. And the next thousand people that come and try and do that every day. So I just said the address because I had her address and he said, do you have an appointment? I said, yes, I have an appointment. And he's probably thinking you don't have an appointment. You got a hire sticker like on the, the, he was a lot more switched on than the old guy at the first house. So he picks up the phone and rings through to the house. And I'm now by this stage, I've got cars behind me. I can't go anywhere. And I'm thinking, so I'm starting to sweat. I'm thinking, he's called my bluff. So he picks the phone up and someone answers and he's eyeballing me the whole time. And he says, yes. So, and he's got my license. So you're not expecting a visit from Olivia Carr, right? Well, she's claiming she's here to deliver your silk pillowcases because I told him that. Right. So what do you want me to do? And I'm like, and I'm having to, and he's like angry and he's got this look on me and I'm thinking, oh my God, do not say lock her up. Don't say lock her up. And he's just eyeballing me. He puts the phone down. He says, you could have told me it was Courtney and saved me the time. Get out of here and just gave me his license and then sent me running. 
And I was like, oh God. So then all I could think about was that night because they're such a close family. You know, they're all going to catch up and Courtney's going to say this lunatic from Australia tries to deliver me these silk pillowcases. And then the other the other family's going to say, well, actually she got into our estate and delivered. So it started a little bit of a like a story. Nothing happened for a couple of months. And I was like, oh, you know, and I tried a few things. The sisters came out here. I had a look at their Snapchat. I'd started Googling all the hotels in Melbourne to work out which suite they're in, found the suite, called concierge, said, hey, you know, from blah, 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 PR, dropped off some pillowcases, got it to the sisters, tried a few different things, never stopped. And then there was an event in LA and our marble pillowcases happened to be the gift. You know, we gift a lot of product. We try and get, this is the thing that I try and teach people, get your product everywhere where people are going to be. And one day this lady was one of the stylists for the Kardashians. And of course they were our marble, which is what I dropped off. She said, these marble pillowcases, right? Like how are these marble pillowcases at an event in LA? They got in contact with their PR company who at this stage we had a PR company in America who I'd also told the story to. They said, never do that again. Like we'll take you on as a client, but never, ever do that again. They get in contact with me. And That's because they, they want to control you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then they tell me the backstory and they said, you know what? They actually loved your product, but they all have king beds and you sent them standard like queen size. And I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. So again, being an Aussie brand, quite naive, we never had king in the beginning. Like not many people in Australia other than Mark Boris sleeps on a king bed. <laughs> um, so we got to work and I remember within a week, it was the quickest we ever turned anything around. We got a whole lot of king product made and she'd actually asked for her initials to be put on. We didn't offer customization. So we did, we got them customized, sent them off to everyone. So not just Kim, we did everyone that Kim knew, her family, um, sent them off. And then she received the product. Not only did she love the product, she then got back in contact saying, hey, would you mind if we gave a whole heap away to our subscribers on their app? And that was nearly three years ago. That was the start of what has now become quite a, a personal um, relationship with the Kardashians. So did you hang out with them? Or? I did get invited to the property last October um, for Halloween to drop off the new Beverly Hills. Uh, I didn't get to meet Kim, but I was there for an hour and five minutes yeah, and an extensive NDA. So that, that's a like, I mean, you might – Everyone listeners might think, oh, well, she got away with it. But for me, um, apart from it being a great Australian story, it really is. It's a great Australian story because <laughs> only Aussies would do something crazy like Correct. that. I'm, I mean that. Um, but it's it's shows like a certain level of tenacity from your point of view. Um, as you said, your decision was, I'm going to make this bigger. I'm not going to make it at all. Mm-hmm. That was your decision. Yeah. And you stuck by it. I did stick. No matter it. no matter what was going to happen. Yeah, it was not going to. Nothing was going to stop you. Yeah, I mean, and you learn a lot about yourself too. I guess. Mm. I mean, I what what do you did you learn about yourself that you could share with people who are listening, um, I mean, and that, that they can that they can employ in their businesses. I mean, I say this a lot, and it, but I don't just mean it as empty words. Like you genuinely have to back yourself. There's, there's not a lot of people in the world that will understand your dream and your vision, particularly in the early days. And it's often really hard to articulate the feeling that you have inside, the excitement, whether it's a pillowcase, a pen, a water bottle, whatever it is. No one's ever going to understand the drive you have internally to succeed at something other than yourself. And one of the things that can be quite daunting is if you start sharing your big crazy dreams with people around you and they start to not willingly or not knowing, they start to sort of make you self-doubt yourself because they start to say, oh, that's not going to happen. You can't do this. How are you going to do that? Oh, that's crazy. Like as if that's going to work. So for me, I just think have the crazy dream, continue to share it, but then you you have to back yourself and prove them wrong. Like I'm just, 
I love to prove people wrong. Like if someone tells me I can't do something, you watch me do it. Like, but is, is it, can I? That's a good, that's a really good point because I mean I've sort of been through similar experiences in, in, in my life through various people who I've been in business with, and um, w- there's two parts to running a business. You've got to be really analytical. So you're really mm-hmm. analytical when it comes to the product, mm-hmm. but when it comes to marketing. You shouldn't overanalyze. No. You should back yourself and take some risks. Correct. And is they that, don't Is that all what pay you're off. saying? Yeah, definitely. Don't overanalyze everything. No. But equally, don't be um, uh, fearless as well in relation to everything. There are some parts of the business you have to overanalyze and you have to be really micromanaging, like the way you manufacture. Mm-hmm. But then there's some parts of the business you just got to say, think big, take big risks. Yeah. And it's okay if they don't all work. Yeah. Like, that's not, for me, that's not, that's not the point. Um, I operate the business very much like the the team now call it plot twist. Like I literally come in almost daily and you don't you don't know the crazy ideas I come in some days and I say, you know what, today we're doing this and they just go off oh, plot twist. But the plot twist just means she's actually going to do it and we're, we all have to back her because they know I'm crazy. I, I love that because you know, like, I often get criticised for people say, oh, you change your mind all the time. No, I'm reassessing what I'm yeah. supposed to do. Um, and, uh, and, and the reassessment is that we've got to change tack a little bit. People, generally speaking, people who work for you hate, to change tack. They mm. just want to yeah. stay on the road. Whereas um, where you have a culture of plot twist. You have to keep changing, yeah. ca- changing, changing, yeah. changing, changing. And that comes down to leadership. That's what leadership's about. Yeah. Is being able to um, sort of nearly um, scientifically predict the market or scientifically predict where you need to go to. Like mm. if you didn't realise or if you had to realise that king size was the important size in relation to this marketing campaign, in other words, if you had scientifically worked out where you need to be in the market, you might have saved yourself a lot of trouble. Mm. So- this, if you're a leader in a business, and I'm talking to audience now, um, if you want to be a leader, you've got to be in this position prepared to plot twist or twist mm-hmm. the plot or change tack, even if it's minutely. Mm-hmm. But you keep doing it, you just keep turning it, you just keep – you're switching all the time. Yeah. Do you – is that one of your roles in your business? It's just me. Yeah, like it's, it's just literally you. just me. Like I think – I would be the best boss to work for, but I imagine I would also be the most annoying boss to work for. Oh, that's for. me. A nightmare. Just uh, people can't but if, stand it. You know, I'm I'm waiting today. My team actually had to write a reference for a business award that we're doing. I just can't wait to read it because I don't ask for too much feedback about me personally because I'm not sure if I want to hear it. But I imagine what I read is that I'm incredibly inspiring to work for. And that inspiration probably comes from, you know, I have a very young team. So I love to employ millennials. I love to have them in their first job because I believe if they work for me once, they can do anything they ever want. Like I If they put, survive. Yeah. Well, I mean, I help them start businesses. I push them to start business. Like I literally push them out the door the day they begin, um, which is also quite unique to my leadership style. So you empower them. Yeah. To just- Allow them to make mistakes. I allow them. I say, I say, start your business while you're here. Follow what we do. Work, try what works. Um, and just be brave. Like I tell them all the crazy things that I'm thinking of. They should, you know, try that. For The only way in this day and age that I think as a brand you can really stand out is you have to be different. And to me, the easiest way to be different is to do crazy things. You've got to do mad shit. I agree. Yeah. yeah totally. You've got, to, you've, got to, you've got to be trying stuff all the time. Yeah. Which is why it's, it's in my financial services industry, it's hard because we're regulated, but you're not really regulated, are you? No. You, you don't really have any regulatory environments. I mean, you can't make something poisonous. But yeah. generally speaking, you can be trying new stuff all the time. Olivia, this has been a fascinating conversation. I wanted to, I could talk to you for hours, but I can't because I'm going to – my producer over here is sort of giving me the wind-up. But I do – I always offer everybody an opportunity to ask me a question because I'm doing all the questioning. Um, you got a question for me? I do. 
So I've listened to your podcasts and I think one of the most interesting things for me being raw in business and quite new is we've just had nearly an hour to deep dive into some parts of our business. What are the top three things that you think I should be focusing on in the next 12 months? That's a hard one because. Mm. Well, I mean, I, th- I think the, f- it, I, I, I guess the, f- the one that keeps going through my mind as you've been speaking is um, at some stage you're going to try and scale your business up really big time, which means you're probably going to need to raise money. Mm-hmm. And in order to raise money in today's environment, um, um, uh, well, the first thing is I would be making sure that I had a clear understanding. Number one would have a clear understanding when I'm going to raise money, how much money I'm going to raise and how much I'm going to give away. So in order to do that, you need to have pretty much need to build yourself a due diligence list because someone's always, investors always going to want to look at the due diligence and you want to know what you need to predict in a year's time or two years time. What are investors looking for when they invest in a business like yours? Mm-hmm. And you need to be able to deliver it or prove to them you can deliver it. And to me, it's about um, the way I see that that marketplace, the, the capital market or the venture capital market today, is that they're looking for quick returns. They don't want to put money. They don't want to put five million dollars in for whatever twenty percent, whatever the numbers are making it up, it's just so that in two more years' time you've got to go and raise another five million and they get diluted. So they want to know that the five million that, that you raise first time around will be the, enough money to some returns of profit. So that means they've got to be convinced that you know exactly the pricing of everything you manufacture. Mm-hmm. How can I increase my margins? So where are them? And if it's just simply through scale, mm-hmm. then that needs to be proven. They want to know that you've, you've done it, but they want to know that you've tied down every single aspect of your supply chain and you've done it in a, to a point where they can examine every dollar, every cent that you can save mm-hmm. as a result of manufacturing more. Mm-hmm. and that those suppliers are reliable suppliers. So supply chain in your – because you're a manufacturer. Mm-hmm. You, people might think you're a Kardashian man, marketer, but you're actually a manufacturer. Mm-hmm. You're an industrial business. That's what you are. You're an industrialist. doesn't sound very sexy. It doesn't, but that's what you <laughs> it are. It is. It's reality. You've got yeah. to deliver it on time, deliver it on quality, and mm-hmm. deliver it on price. So an investor will identify that in a ha- – a good mm-hmm. investor will identify that in half a second – so you need to know what they need to know and mm-hmm. you need to have it ready and able to be understood and clear and simple, simply put. So you're, what you that, – that number one is making sure that your new audience, your two audiences, the first audience is the, the buyers of your product, the second audience is your investors, mm-hmm. shareholders, let's call them. And you've, you, you, I'm just looking at the product now, you beautifully speak to your consumer audience. You equally got to be beautifully speaking to your investor audience, mm-hmm. and I don't know where that's at at the moment I know, because we haven't discussed that, mm-hmm. and that's the sort of thing you'd have to have a look at. So, I think the the number one thing you need to do is make sure that your new audience that you're going to speak to in due course, in order to give you scale when you try to raise money, is is as elegantly and eloquently spoken to as you're currently doing to your mm-hmm. consumer audience. That's the first thing, and I, I think. I don't really think there is a two and three because to be frank with you, two and three come down to your marketing. And I think your marketing is very, very good. Mm-hmm. Your marketing now is – you're, you're, you're employing what Jules Lund would do in tri- at Tribe um, influences, but you're doing it at the highest possible level. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's no one influencer in the world that you can get better for your product than the Kardashians. I mean, they're no mm-hmm. good to me in financial services because they don't need a home loan. But in terms of silkware, like – and it's not just that they're saying, oh, well, we like this. It's not like um, what Sass and Bayer did. Um, mm. 
because they wear everybody's product. Mm -hmm. Your silkware is the closest thing or the most intimate thing that I could possibly think of for an influencer. It's something they put on their face mm. at night. and uh, That's a and crazy thought. I think about it all the time. When that, I go to bed, I'm like, we're both sleeping right now that on this is product. 100%. <laughs> yeah. And every consumer that buys your product can think should be thinking the same. Mm. I guess what we haven't talked about is I'd be interested to know, there's lots of great messages in your in your product. Mm-hmm. I guess what I'd like to know is what is your message at the end of the day? Sleep like the Kardashians or sleep with the Kardashians? I don't know. Is it something cute? I don't know what it is. I, I'm just making shit up. But yeah. um, number two probably would be I'd like to see really refined. If I was an investor, I would like to see really refined. What is your message that you're sending out to anyone who buys your product? Mm-hmm. Um, and what's the research that sits behind it? Yeah. You know, why do your consumers buy your product? Is it because of the Kardashians? Is it that cute or is it? Um, association with them. I don't know. There's probably a lot of science around that. Mm-hmm. And the final one is, I think the third one is that I would want to know is um, how robust is your whole online shop? Mm-hmm. How robust is it? We and use the same platform as Kylie Jenner, so I'd like to think it's it's pretty robust. robust. Yeah. Okay, so well, that's that's not a bad statement. But <laughs> what what is what is the test? In other words, yeah. you know, what's your failure rate? Um, you know, just just on deliveries, for example, and online means everything. It means everything, yeah. fulfillment, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So what's your, what's your delivery failure rate? I'd like to know what all the failure rates are. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jack Welsh was the greatest in the world at this, and Jack Welsh had this thing called – Jack Welsh, who, who was the you know, the setup General Electric in its heyday. General not, Electric is not today what it was in the late 90s and early 2000s when Jack Welsh was running it. Jack Welsh had this concept called Six Sigma, and Six Sigma is a mathematical term, which basically means that there are six deviations from the mean, and six deviations from the mean is error rates. And he used to say uh, um, six figures, one in one million. So it'd be one in one million error. Uh, sorry, one error in one million events. So if if I'm if they make aeroplane engines, so his rule was an aeroplane engine must not can only fail one in one million times. Mm-hmm. If I or they ran um, things like um, call centers, if I rang someone at a at a GE call center to buy something um, from one of GE's clients, um, should only one in one million times should there be an error rate in the terms of the way that individual spoke to me according to the script mm-hmm. for the product that GE was selling on behalf of somebody else. So this one in one million error rate is really important. Mm-hmm. I would like to know what science that you apply to your error rates in terms of deliveries, poor quality, price fuck-ups, everything. Mm-hmm. So as an investor, I think investors today become really sophisticated, particularly here in Australia. But, you know, your product, can, you'll probably get investors in, in, the, in the Valley anyway because you're selling into America. But still, they like to know all this sort of science. Mm-hmm. What is this girl, woman here got in terms of the science Apart from the Kardashian story, mm-hmm. apart from the, all the feel-good stuff and yeah. her success so far, what is it that's making her bulletproof that allows me to invest whatever amount of money she's seeking to invest? And if you can sh- go through that science mm-hmm. those on those three aspects, yep. to me, that makes you much more bulletproof. And all you have to be is better than the other in- mm-hmm. investment. So it's a bit like two guys walking through the jungle and there's a lion at the back there. The first guy is absolutely terrified. He's worried he's going to get eaten. And the second guy says, I don't have to worry about it. I just have to be running faster mm-hmm. than you. So you have to be the person who runs faster than all the other investments. And that, to me today, that comes down to the science that sits behind everything you do. Yeah. Good advice. Those three things. Yeah. 
Thank you. You've been awesome. Thank you. Fantastic. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) 